We're in the epistle of 1 John. Uh, started a couple of weeks ago. Gave you a brief, uh, just a brief summary of, of the intro material. John is writing uh, probably mid to late 80s. Um, the first century right after he probably wrote his gospel. He's writing to churches that are in the area of Asia Minor, uh, Turkey, what we think of. They didn't call it Asia Minor. They didn't call it Asia Minor. Now they just called it the province of Asia. Different little sections of it. Uh, very similar to the churches that he wrote to in the book of Revelation a few years after this. Um, they are facing persecution, but they're also facing false teaching. And the major part of that false teaching, as we said, is from a group called the Gnostics. comes from a Greek word, gnosis, to know. A uh, very complex philosophy that infected large different parts of the Greek culture. But fundamentally, they believe that being, knowing God is a result of having right knowledge. And very few people can have that knowledge. It's a very much an elitist uh, philosophy that infected Christianity. It also um, is marked, as we've shared really the last two weeks in a great deal of detail, about uh, dualism that believes the physical and the spiritual are two distinct parts of a person. So what you do physically has no impact on your spirituality. Um, and so you can live a pretty sinful life and not affect your salvation, for lack of a better term. Because of that, they did not believe that Jesus was in his nature fully God, fully man. And so they would deny that dual, that aspect of Jesus because of their duality. In the second chapter, we kind of helped the first two verses last week, tied it back to the end of the first chapter. And so we'll begin in verse 3. I hope to get to verse 17 if possible. But with in mind what we've already looked and talked about, he then makes kind of this, this, kind of this new direction. He says, by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. So he uses the word know a lot. Um, and part of that is in the context of dealing with this, this teaching, this uh, heresy that said it is the right knowledge, the right information uh, that allows you to be right with God, whatever that means. And that, you know, we never know what that information is, by the way. We, we, I'm not, I, mean, I know there's some detailed studies that might tell you some of that, but from our New Testament perspective, we, we never see any hint of that. Of course, it was completely rejected as a, as a part of the doctrinal basis of our faith. But what he wants you to, to have knowledge about, and, and the concept of knowledge here is to know with absolute certainty. Um, and it says, if we keep his commandments. Now, the interesting thing is who is the him or his commandments that we, that we talk about, the him. Um, in, in chapter 2, verse 1 and 2, we were talking about Jesus, uh, that Jesus is the propitiation of our sins and also for the whole world. So in, chapter, in verse 3, is, it, is he still talking about we have come to know him, that is Jesus, or we have come to know his commandments? Well, most likely, I mean, I, it's not one or the other, uh, God, I mean, God or Jesus, it's not one or the other, uh, Jesus is the full revelation of God. Whatever we are to know about God, we know in Jesus. Because the, the Gnostics would be dealing mostly with knowing God, it may be that John, in, in a bigger sense, is looking that way. But John, one of the amazing things about John's writings, and you see this in the Gospels over and over, is that so much of the time what he writes has the ability Ability to be understood in a very broad context. Sometimes the, the, the question is, does John mean A or B? And the answer is he means C, both of them. John, John has this ability when he writes to bring some different aspects and facets in. And I would simply say this, John is not making a distinction between whether you know God or Jesus. It is the same to him, because Jesus is God in the flesh. 
And the interesting thing is, though, when he talks about commandments, and, and uh, it, it's interesting to see people's takes about what he means that we keep his commandments, it is important to remember that John wrote a gospel. And in that gospel, he uh, deals extensively with Jesus talking about the commandment that we looked at last summer. And last summer, when I preached uh, from chapter 13, uh, in the Gospel of John, I began and ended the message, the, the series, with the, of eight weeks with the same basic verse, that, uh, that I give to you, Jesus said, a new commandment that you love one another. This is how they will know you're my disciples when you love one another. And the commandment Jesus gave was to love. It would make sense then, in a book written shortly after the Gospel, in many ways, probably what I would, I would kind of look at the Gospel of John is, is the story of Jesus and then the, the, the epistle of 1 John are for those followers of Jesus to help get them solid in their faith if he meant something different to that. Now, the, the idea of commandment is probably the totality of things, but, but John was with Jesus and he understood the things that Jesus taught. Now, because Matthew, Mark, and Luke were written a great deal earlier than the Gospel of John, he oftentimes, or he would not necessarily go back over all they would teach. Jesus uh, wrote, Jesus said, I did not come to do away with the law or the commandments. I fulfilled them. Jesus is the fulfillment of all of the Old Testament. I tell you that all the time. The Old Testament is the book of promise. The New Testament is the book of fulfillment. If I ever said to you, the Old Testament is why, the New Testament is why, if you can't get that right, you're just failing church. I tell you that all the time. The Old Testament promises something the New Testament fulfills. Jesus is the fulfillment of all of that. So when you come to the New Testament, there is not the expectation that we keep the law. Jesus is all of that. He taught very clearly. Matthew 22, Mark uh, 12, I think Luke 10. He said the, co the commandments of God are summed up this way. Love God, love others. John he even further refined it simply by saying, the world will know your mind because you love one another. My extension, love them. So it makes sense then that the fundamental commandment that John is talking about is love because love would sum up all the others. Yes, we are to live an obedient life. Yes, we are not to hate people and we're not to commit adultery. All those things would be true. But if you go and make it, if you do what so many churches do and have this long checklist of what you can and can't do, Pretty soon, you'll be a really small church <laughs> because you're, you're, you're going to be obligated to keep that. If you just do it the way Jesus said to do it and love one another, you're in pretty good shape. Now, this is important because Gnosticism lacked love. The true way of salvation is not knowledge. Knowledge is good. <laughs> I think there's a quote on that at uh, Faber University. Uh, if you don't know what Faber University is, there's a, never mind, there's a movie where they, it's at Favor University and at the statue and it says knowledge is good. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Two. You and I are the only really enlightened ones in here. You and I have the secret knowledge that comes from Animal House. <laughs> yes, I grew up demented in that way. But it's not knowledge. It is love that brings us to God. And, and so that would be the commandment we would keep to love one another. I mean, for God, remember, John would write, for God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son. Paul would write, God showed his great love to us. And that when we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Later on in this epistle, he's going to talk repeatedly about love. 
Yeah, if you say you love God, but you hate your brother, you can't really love God. I mean, love is just the theme later on. So it makes sense that the command he's talking about fundamentally is to love. It is love that separates Christianity out. So he says, you know him, you know God, not by some secret knowledge, but because of this commandment that is to love. So verse 4 says, the one who says, I have come to know him, but then does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Someone says, I have this gnosis, I have this knowledge. But in the truth of it is, you don't keep the commandments of God, which are summed up in love. Then you're not telling the truth. Now, I mean, obviously, when we say keep his commandments, they're, they're, you know, we, we understand what the things Jesus taught. Jesus would teach us, for instance, go make disciples. There's a, there's a command of Christ. But they are summed up in the concept of love. All of that spins out of that sense of love. But verse 5, he says, whoever keeps his word, notice this, in him the love of God has been truly perfected. But this is how we're knowing him. Go on in verse 6. So notice what he says. Whoever keeps his word, what is that word? Well, fundamentally, it boils down to the concept of love. And, and listen, you look at the entire word of God. He's not, you know, he's not necessarily talking about the entire word of God, though that would be true. We, we, we tend to do that. We have to think, what is John talking about? You keep his word, his the word, to love one another. Then the love of God is perfected in you. Now, the word perfected, in, in our concept of perfect is to be without flaw. But the word perfected comes from the Greek word, which means to be completed. In the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 48, Jesus says, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. That word simply means be complete, be whole, be all that it is. It's not that you're without sin, though that would be ideal. But the concept is be right where you need to be, be made right, completed. So what he's saying is this. If you keep his word to love one another, the love of God then is complete within you. Well, that would seem to me like a whole lot better type of faith than having to have some secret knowledge with the understanding that I never know for sure if I have that knowledge. To just simply to know that if I live this life of love the way God intended in Christ, the love of God is in me, I am complete. I'm where I need to be. Not flawless, not without sin, but where I need to be. That probably ought to be our goal. That probably as a church would simplify things if that is the road we decided to travel. And when we talk about love, it's not as the world lives, not that kind of love, but the love that is found in our faith. A deep love for God that is seen in our worship, in our obedience, in our adoration in our life of holiness, conforming to God, and a deep love for people in helping minister to them and care for them and helping them come to Christ. So that would be what we would strive for. So verse 5 says, this is how we know we have, that we are in him. And um, so he, he, he tells us in verse 6, the one who says he abides in him, that is in the Lord, him, ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. If you say you abide in him, and once again, he's not making a distinction between God or Jesus. But in the second part he does, then we ought to basically walk in the same way he walked. The word walk 
is a word that is to travel or journey. It is descriptive of the Christian life. You sometimes hear me talk about that our faith is a journey. You know, if I lived in another time, they might say our faith is a walk. And, and it's, it's the, how we live. To walk after is to follow. And I say all the time, to be a Christian is to be a follower of Jesus. It is nothing more, nothing less. It is not simply that we follow him in faith. Though that is it. That's the start. It is that we continue to follow him. So uh, whenever I baptize, I don't, I don't do a lot of baptisms. Uh, the guys do it because of the way we do our services, and they do a great job. Um, uh, but when I baptize, uh, I'll put them in the water, bring them out, and I'll say, you know, you have you followed Christ in baptism. Now follow him in all of your life. The other guys don't say that. That's why their baptisms aren't quite as accomplished as mine. So if, if Joe or Barry or, those, or Brian those, or, or, or Josh baptized you, you you're, it's okay. You're, just, you're good. You're just little stuff missionary. But I always had that part. You, you walk now as he walked. You keep following him. His following is not a one-time act. It is a perfected act of continuing on and on and on. And by the way, if, if those other guys baptize you, I'm not going to give you a rebaptism. You're just stuck with what they gave you. There's no refunds. Unless there's a substantial contribution with it, then we can talk. But uh, I told someone one time, I can never be bought, but I can be leased for a short period of time. If you're new, I am kidding. Trust me. <laughs> for the most part. Yeah, and their baptism is fine. You're good. Beloved, he says, now notice this, I am not writing a new commandment to you, but an old commandment, which you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you have heard. And here's the interesting thing. The word beloved is a term of great endearment. It is a very pastoral term. Uh, guys who are really pastoral will call their people beloved. So I never call you beloved. I'm a lousy pastor. It's probably what that means. But he says, I'm not, this is not giving me something new, I'm giving you something old. Now, when he says old, what does it mean? Is it go all the way back? You know, some say it goes all the way back to the Old Testament because we see, you know, Jesus said, love God, love others, Deuteronomy 5, Leviticus 19, you know, love God, Deuteronomy 5, love others, in, in Leviticus 19, yeah. But a lot of these people he's talking to were Gentiles. They don't have all that. He says, you've heard it from the beginning. What does that mean? And here's what it means. From the beginning of your faith, you have been taught to love. A lot of these people were saved back when Paul uh, brought the gospel there. Peter came through there. The constant message of the, op of the apostles, the apostolic message of the gospel, always involved love. He said, this is not something new I'm teaching you. It's old because you've heard it from the beginning of your faith. You love. This is how you live. So I'm not teaching some new. Why is that? Because the Gnostics are teaching something new. They have come upon you recently. They have brought this real fancy teaching. And in their fancy teaching, they're, they're filling your minds with this garbage. And it's this new stuff to come. This is, what, this is what false teachers always do. If they're from the Christian part of life. They'll say, well, you know, yeah, you got some of this stuff about Jesus. Yeah, you start with Jesus. But you don't have enough info. There is more. So I'm going to say this. and you know, I, Mormonism does that. Mormonism says there, there, there's another, another testament, the Book of Mormon, that you need. 
And, and it's good, good to start off with the New Testament. You need more. You need more. You need more. It is, it is the classic work of, of, of cults and false teachers, and it's been that way since the beginning. So John is saying this isn't something new. Some old. <laughs> and then in verse 8 he says, But on the other hand, I am writing a new commandment to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. He says it's not a new commandment, but it's old. But on the other hand, it is new because it is new with Jesus. In the history of humanity, in the religious systems of the world, compared, remember, most of these people came out of paganism. Compared to paganism, even, even within Judaism, Judaism taught love, but the Jews had forsaken that, basically. And we're talking, teaching self-righteousness. So in the sense that Christ came and brought it to you, and it is seen in the light of Christ, in that sense it's new. It's new because Christ brings it to his fulfillment. It's true in him. It's true in you. And that darkness has faded. Light, which is Jesus. The light is capitalized in, in uh, the American Standard. It's, it's shining. So then he's going to continue on. So the one who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in the darkness till now. So it, this is interesting. Because what he's doing then, it's just, this, it's just such a brilliant step-by-step step that John is doing. He talks about love. It's this commandment. But if you don't have it, you're not in the light, you're in the darkness. But one of the things that Gnostics would say is their knowledge brings light, illumination. We have the concept that, when, that if, you're, if you're ignorant of something, you're in a type of darkness. That when you have been given truth, you're enlightened, your knowledge. So the Gnostics would have said that they are bringing this new light. They're shining this new light down upon it. And so John is going to take what they would say, and he, just, and he just turns it on them. And he says, if you say you're in the light, but hate your brother, he's in the darkness till now. Now, hate is not just necessarily the kind of what we think of, this fierce animosity and anger. But it is the opposite of what love truly is, the biblical understanding of love. Of the love is the self-giving it is the love of, it's a sacrificial love. It, it is the putting the other ahead of you. The Gnostics, this is any time there is a system that is built on a, 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 a sense of what you can accomplish and what you can get. You know, I can know enough, I can do enough. I can be good enough, I can be smart enough. It is built on an arrogant prejudice against those who do not live the way you live or know the way you know. In my lifetime as a pastor, and a young guy, even growing up in the church, <laughs> I, I've known more nobody here. I'll make clear, nobody at this church, certainly in this room, or those watching. I always have to qualify these things because people think I'm talking about them. I get this accused. I get people mad at me. You were talking about me the other day. Let me just say, in all my life, I have never written a sermon, or put anything there while I was talking about any of you, some people that have left once in a while, but none of you. Here's the thing. What begins to happen, what I've seen, is that they begin to think real big of themselves. Look how I live. I, I go to church every Sunday. 
I, I, I read my Bible. I know I'm involved. I had a lady in my church in Laredo. Oh, man, she was a piece of work. You know, she was always, you know, preacher, I just do this and I do that. She was always talking about the things that she was doing. And in her soul, there was an indignation and a bitterness towards those that she didn't think lived up to her standard. Oh, she was bigoted beyond belief against all types of people. She was mean-spirited. Oh, she would cut people down in a heartbeat. She was as lost as lost could be. When I get to heaven, I'll be surprised if she's there. I'll be happy. I'd be surprised. I don't think I will be surprised because I don't think I'm going to carry the way I understand. I'm just being you know, metaphorical. People who elevate the way they live and the things they know have a hatred towards other people who don't live by their standards. They do. Man, see, I've seen it too much. And what he's saying is, there's no light in them. They're dark. How tragic it is to be a part of a community, a church where there's supposed to be love, and yet you're the one who is judgmental and bitter and have animosity to people. And I mean, I, and I don't, I, truthfully, I don't know anybody in our church like this. I, I've never seen anybody like that in our church. But what I have on, in the past. There's no light because there's no love. Man. Verse 10 says this. The one who loves his brother abides in the light. And there's no cause for stumbling in him. The word abides means to remain. It is to dwell. It is to live. It is to be concentrated in. Uh, That's why the Holy Spirit abides within us. It speaks of a of a permanence, of a not leaving. The Holy Spirit abides within. One of the things that I talk about uh, when I teach certain doctrines is that uh, at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, if you look in the Old Testament, the Spirit of God comes and goes, comes and goes, comes and goes. And the word Holy Spirit's not used, but we probably ought to assume the Spirit of God is the Holy Spirit. It doesn't really matter, but you get the idea. But in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit came. And he never left. And what I normally say is this. The Holy Spirit now, at Acts, abides in a permanent way. He has come to the church never to leave. When I give my life to Christ, the Holy Spirit comes and dwells within me. And he never leaves. It was a permanence so that I can never lose my salvation. People who say you can lose your salvation, here's what they're saying. They're saying the Holy Spirit can come and the Holy Spirit can go. The only problem is, Scripture doesn't teach that. Scripture teaches when the Holy Spirit comes, He remains. Jesus said, He abideth with you. And John says, John's last apostle, last apostle left, last of the apostles. He says this, the one who loves his brother remains in the light, Jesus. There's no cause of stumbling. That doesn't mean you don't sin. This means he's good. But in verse 11, 
the one who hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in that darkness. It means he lives there and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded him. It's a pretty apt description of a person who's not a follower of Jesus. Now, in verse 12, 13 and 14, and I got to really make K. He, he talks about, he says, I'm writing to you little children. And then he talks about, um, you know, the, to the children and to the fathers and, and to the young men. So John's doing an interesting thing. He's writing from the perspective of, a, of an older guy. And he talks about children, you know, fathers, young men. This is not by age. This is by your Christian maturity. So he's talking to new believers, people who've been believers a long time, and then people who are kind of in the middle, men and women, who have, who've been in the faith for a while and over time have been tested. See, when, when, when you're a brand new believer, you're excited in the faith and you're going to grow, but eventually you're going to be tested. So he's talking to people uh, the young men, and, and we would say women too, because you know, we want to include everybody. But he's talking to them, and he's saying, you have been tested over time. And then there's the fathers, you have a certain amount of wisdom. And so he, he says to them, verse 12, I'm writing to you little children. Your sins have been forgiven uh, you for his namesake. So I'm, writing, I'm telling you this as young, 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 young believers, because your sins have been forgiven. I'm uh, writing to you um, uh, fathers, because you know him. Who has been from the beginning. You know him. You, you, have, you have a true knowledge. Not the Gnostic knowledge. Uh, in fact, this word, this concept is you have a knowledge that is staying power. And I'm writing to you young men, you have overcome the evil one. And then he says, I have written to you children because you know the father. And I have written to you fathers because you know him who has been from the beginning. There's a sense of knowing. And I have read, written to young men because you are strong and the word of God's abiding you and if you overcome the evil one. So, he, he writes, basically, it's kind of repetitive. He says, I am writing, and then he says, I have written. So let me just tell you what this means. It's a, uh, when he says, I am writing, he's talking about the present tense. I am writing to you, you children. I am writing to you, fathers. I am writing to you, young men. In other words, I am actually writing to you in the present. Then he says, I have written. And, and this is, okay, you don't care about Greek, I know. But this is a Greek writing device <laughs> that speaks of the present in the past. It's, it's added for emphasis. So he is being emphatic. The first three times, he says, from my experience, I'm writing you to you, your children, and to you, fathers, and your men. I'm telling you what I see. Then he says, I have written to you in the epistolary aorist. And what he's saying is, I'm writing from your perspective because you know this. I'm writing to you to what I know, and I'm writing about what you know. And so there's an emphasis there. This is a certain knowledge. There again, a plane to some degree on the concept of, of the Gnostics. So he's saying to your children, your sins are forgiven. And because of that, you know him. You have true knowledge. To you fathers, you've known him from the beginning. You know it and I know it. To you young men, you've overcome the evil ones so you're strong. You've overcome temptation. So he's it will encouragement. In light of all the false teachings, there's this strong sense of encouragement to them. I, I'm probably uh, at a point in my life where I would be there with the fathers, both in terms of age and just Christian life. And so there would be that sense of saying, yeah, I've known him from the beginning. All my, uh, I, I, in other words, I've known, and I know the Lord. I have a solid belief 
I'm not, I know him. Nothing you're going to do is going to change my mind about knowing him. There's no new teaching I'm going to follow. My, my, I'm, not, I'm not sinless. Money starts. I have plenty of sin. But from the faith standpoint, we're solid. He's saying that. You guys know the truth. Why are you wavering? So verse 15 says this. Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If you love the world, the things of the Father are in him. Now, the, the term world, cosmos, can mean one of three things. It can mean the world as we know it. It can mean the world in terms of just people. He's got the whole world in his hands. And most often, though, it means the world in opposition to God. And that's what he's saying here. If you love the world, you love the culture. If you love the things the Gnostics love. And the Gnostics, listen, they, they, loved, they loved to have their knowledge. They loved to be held up in high esteem. They loved the, you know, all, the, all, all the wealth they had. They loved, they loved the way they traveled, their elitism. They loved the world. If you love the world, you love the culture of the world. If you love the way it looks and feels and all of that, you don't have love of the Father. In other words, you can't love the world and love people. That seems strange. But loving people is not loving the world. Loving people is you love everyone, but to love the world is to love the culture, to want to be a part. It is, it is the concept, I want to be like them. So he's not talking about, you, know, you can't love people, but if you love the world and its opposition to God, it's a real challenge for us. There's a lot of things that I love in life. I, I Love my house, love my car. I love, I love living in America. Got a pretty easy life. I kind of I like that. I can't be trapped into loving that. I can use it. I can enjoy it. But I need to love people. So I need to love people who are lost, people who are different, people who don't like me. Uh, I need to love people. That's the secret. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but it's from the world. And so the world is passing away and also it's lust, but the one who does the will of God lives forever. So I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm out of time. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to start back with verse 15 next week and cover all that. Because I, I cannot do justice. Awan is letting out and he let y'all go. So what I'm going to do is, don't let me forget, is I'll, I'll come back from verse 15 and then I'll finish off. I just, I just don't have time. Uh, to do that, and uh, uh, want to do that in, in, in more detail. So I'll come back and start over with verse 15, but you know, you might read the rest of the chapter, try to get through it. There's so much in there. This epistle, this letter has, just like in like the letters of Paul, you know, I'm preaching from Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians Sunday, and it's just so much information. There's such depth there. Yeah, you just read it and keep reading it, and it'll always speak to you. So uh, I don't really have time for any questions. You want to ask me a question, uh, you can Catch me after if you can find me or make an appointment, which is fine too. We'll see y'all later.